Hello everyone and welcome to the Rachel Unpack podcast. This is actually a special edition of the podcast um, as I am for the first time going to go on record regarding um, the un- untimely death of my son, Abel. Um, I've debated for a year uh, as to whether or not to do this episode. You know, when you love so much, someone as much as I loved him, it's like the word love isn't even big enough. Doing an, an episode isn't big enough. So this is most likely going to be a two-part episode, okay? Um, so thank you for tuning in. If you want to follow me on social media, my my account is at Rachel Medina 101. Um, the show's account is at Rachel Unpacked. You can find us on TikTok as well or find me on TikTok as well. Both, both accounts. Um, okay, let's get right to it. Oh my goodness. I can't actually believe I'm doing this, but um, where do I begin? So I thought a lot about where to start. Um, I thought, do I start from the day he passed away? Where do I start? And I think that to understand the magnitude of a parent losing a child, I have to acknowledge that it's a parent's greatest fear, while at the same time sort of taking it all the way to the beginning, because oftentimes in the end, what do we think about? We think about the beginning. And so in the case of my story about Abel, um, that's no different. So I'm going to take you back uh, to the beginning. Um, Abel is a big reason why I became the woman that I am. Uh, I mean, Abel, my son. Um, I was a teen mom. Uh, A lot of you have listened to my past podcasts and, um, oh man, this is going to be tougher (laughs) than I thought. And I promised I wouldn't edit. Um, so those of you who know me really well, and those of you who have never met me, but listened to the podcast, thank you so much. Um, you know, from previous podcasts that I was a teen mom. And uh, I actually um, was, you know, dating Abel's father when I was in high school and we were really young. I was 17. He was 18, I believe. And um, anyways, we were together a year or so and I ended up finding out that I was pregnant. Everybody, everybody, uh, not everybody, I shouldn't say that, it's not fair, but a lot of people around me that were my age were telling me to get an abortion. Um, And I just, because I had so much going for me, I was in a pageant at the time and that was progressing. So again, if you listen to past podcasts, you'll be able to hear that. Um, In my mind, I mean, I was working really hard to graduate and to get to college. And so I was college bound. I was a senior in high school. I'm an only child. So there's like, you know, this whole thing that your parents have, you know, in their minds for you about getting married and, you know, graduating college and doing all these things. And I just, I, I completely just burst that bubble, right? Um, When I basically was pregnant, became pregnant with um, Abel Jr. And let me tell you something from the very beginning, although it was really stressful and I hated breaking the hearts of my grandparents and they cried and, uh, you know, my family was like, what? Why would you do this? Are you kidding me? I mean, just so many people just didn't get it. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I had to 
go through with it. So obviously, as you guys know, from a previous podcast, I got married, which was great. You know, we got married right away. And that wasn't even like a doubt in any of our minds or anything. It was like, all right, let's just do this. And, um, you know, if anything, I was more scared. I, I talk about this in a previous podcast. So if you want to kind of hear about how all that came to be, you can listen to one of my previous podcasts, um, one of the very, very early ones. But um, anyways, in regards to Abel, um, you know, he changed my life. Um I imagine all children change your lives, but um, he truly, truly changed my life from the moment he was growing in my stomach. I mean, even the way he would move around and all of that, everything I did, it was like, you know, to make sure that, you know, I was protecting him. And when he was born, um, I remember somebody asking me, what's the hardest thing, Rachel, about being a mom, you know, because I'm young, you know, at this point now, he's born, I'm 18 when he's born, right? And so I'm just like, I don't really know what to do with the baby, right? Um, I didn't have siblings or anything like that. My friends didn't have little baby brothers or sisters or anything. So I just knew that my, my biggest challenge was how do I keep it alive? You know, the number one thing I felt responsible for was I just got to keep it alive. Okay. And it sounds crazy to say keep it alive, but I literally used to speak like that about my baby. Um, I got to keep it alive. And you know, when you have a home, you know, in our case, it was a little apartment, a little one bedroom apartment. Um, you know, it's all fine and dandy until baby comes into the world, into that home. And you're like, oh, now the home is a death trap, right? So plugs, like the light sockets are death traps. And, you know, the chemical, your cleaning supplies underneath your kitchen sink are, is a death trap. I mean, just so many things, the rails on the stairs, you know, death trap. The stairs are death trap. I mean, just so many things. And that's how I viewed it with my baby was I had to keep my baby alive. And, um... I can say that that feeling never went away with Abel. He was 25 years old uh, when he passed. And I can tell you every moment of his life, I knew my job was to keep my baby alive. You know, because when they're babies, like I said, they come into the world and you just want to protect them from everything, from germs, from you know, things in the house, choking. Um, and then when they go to school, you know, when they start school in kindergarten and, you know, you get emotional because it's like, oh my gosh, now they have to go endure. They got to go learn the truth about the world. And you want to protect them from that, right? And so as a parent, I, I think you never leave the, you know, protection stage I don't know. For me, I never left it. Um, you know, and so to understand my pain, you know, I had to face my joy. I had to face how absolutely amazing this person, this human was in my life. Um, So he comes into my life and I become a wife. You know, he comes into my life, I become a mom. Uh, he comes into my life and um, and just so many things change. I, I, I went, I enrolled into college as a young mom married because I would get these jobs, right? Um, in retail and Target and things like that. And 
And I would, you know, get my little bit of money and my husband at the time, he just didn't make money. You know, he just couldn't. It was just hard. And, um, and I would look around our apartment and it had, you know, it was just, it was a tough place to live. I wasn't, I actually was, grew up in a very beautiful home and, and I had really nice things and, um, and I never had to worry about certain things that you have to worry about when you live in low income housing and things like that. Safety, you know, um, sanitation. I mean, there's all these things, right? And, um, and I wanted more for him. Of course I wanted more for me as well, but I wanted more for my baby, you know, and I went to college. I did it. I took 19 units every time and people, my counselor was like, oh my God, you're crazy. You can't be doing this. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're, you know, you don't have a car. I mean, there's, you don't have money. Like there's all these things, you know, and I was, but I was determined. I was determined because I wanted a better life for my baby. Um, there was so many things I learned about myself in the first years of his life. Um, I played with him all the time. Uh, my grandparents were funny because they used to say, you know, you give him so much attention. You know, I, we worry that that could backfire, you know? And I just said, oh, I just, you know, I love him and I love laughing with him and I love playing with him. And, uh, so if he'd come in and go, Mom, you want to play with me? I mean, I was like, oh, psh, I would end that conversation I was in. I would put down, you know, whatever I was, you know, eating or whatever I was doing. And I was like, sure, let's go. And I'd run around the yard and play tag or do whatever. And like, let me tell you something. As it was in the beginning, it was in the end. This is the same baby that I that was 25 years old and we would sneak off to Walmart at night of all things um you know in our sweats just to like have a hula hoop battle or to race those handicap carts you know those electric carts and race them around and he'd say let's go play Mario Kart mom like what do you want to do you want to go play Mario Kart and it'd be like 10 o'clock at night and I'd say let's go <laughs> um when I tell you that When I tell you that he changed my life, I absolutely mean it in ways that, that no one is going to fully understand because he, I got to be me with him. Um, I was his mom, of course, but because I was so young when I had him, a lot of people that didn't even know who we were would observe our behavior and they'd say, Oh, is this your little brother? Is this your big sister? Um, they, his whole life, very few people ever thought I was his mom. Um, they always thought we were brother and sister and we bickered like brother and sister. Uh, we sort of talked to each other like brother and sister. Um, you know, people would say, Hey, you know, you shouldn't make your f kids your best friends. And I'd say, I don't really treat him like a best friend. It, it really was like a sibling type of situation. I, I don't have siblings, but people who had siblings, you know, would tell me like, you guys are, are you sure? I mean, and we'd say, yeah, this is my son, you know? And, um, and let me tell you, we would butt heads too. We would butt heads too. Not when he was little, mostly once he became a teenager and when he got older, we would butt heads, of course, and, um, and, and stuff like that. But, 
let me tell you something. He transformed my life in so many ways. And um, I'm doing the podcast in this way because if you've lost someone you love, there is a very unique, beautiful story living in you. And, and I'm doing this because I have to remind myself, and I think it's for a great lesson for you to remind yourself that it's okay for us to remember the good times. It's remember it's it's okay to to remember the beautiful moments even though there's an excruciating amount of pain attached to those moments now that our loved ones are gone because we we've lost that, right? But I think that the healing is in the breaking. And so I'm not a person who lets myself break down. Uh, I'm coming to you, by the way, a year out. He passed away a year ago on Valentine's Day. And um, gosh, I had a whole idea of how this was going to go. <laughs> it's just not even going that way. So in remembering the beginning... And standing in the end, but remembering the beginning, um, he changed my life. And he, boy, anyone who knew him um, ha- knew that he had an amazing spirit, this this young man, this, this even from a baby, laughing all the time. He wasn't colicky. He didn't keep me up at night. He was just absolutely perfect. I was spoiled. Um, because by the time my second son came, Adrian, he was a little bit more grouchier, right? Um, and I had to learn to deal with that. But Adrian, Abel was, I used to say, what did I do to deserve such a perfect baby? I literally used to say that. I said that all the way until he was about 10 or 10 or 12. And um, when he went into his teen years, um, things got more challenging and then it's then we're back to I have to keep him alive because when he went into his teen years oh my gosh um there was so many things we live in Southern California you know we're Latino so there's like this even though we lived in a beautiful suburb there was like I don't want him to get involved with the wrong crowd um you know I don't want to get him got him into you know want him into drugs I don't want him to get in trouble there was all these things and let me tell you he did all of it um he hung out with the wrong crowd um he dabbled in drugs. I mean, he he was troubled in his teens and really, you could say troubled, but really it was like he just wanted to live life to the fullest um, and mom wasn't around to play with him anymore because I was working now, right? I graduated college. I had my career going. You know, my husband was working and and then let me tell you, it wasn't like he was trying to hang out with us anyways. <laughs> he loved his friends. Um, when I say he loved his friends, he had a genuine love for them. And so it was like he either made, wanted to make sure they were staying with us at the house or that he was staying with them. And when I mean staying with them, he'd be gone like a long time. I mean, I'd call the police sometimes and be like, oh my God, my son, I don't know what to do. And um, and stuff like that. And they were, they were so great. And, um, and anytime he got in trouble, which this is kind of amazing. Like when you, when you look back, anytime he got in trouble in big trouble, he was always trying to help someone. And uh, 
this was something that I don't talk about to people because, you know, as a parent, you don't know how people are going to take it, you know, that your, that your son is in trouble or, you know, that the, you know, the whatever, that he's just in trouble. And so with the, you know, with the police or whatever. And, you know, my ex-husband, he's very, very like embarrassed and ashamed and all these things. And, and I felt it at first, but I would look at what he was doing and I would just say to him, you know, what are you doing? And he'd say, mom, I ran into that house and I, you know, fought those guys because they were beating on her. Um, or mom, you know, I went to this and I did this because they were, you know, they were doing this to this person and his best friend was the same way. So now you have these two guys who are the same way, incredibly chivalrous, sort of like these, you know, captain, <laughs> you know, just, just, they, you know, they just want to save people and they want to help people, but it, they went about it in the wrong, absolute wrong way. I don't condone you know what they did they got in trouble and I, I used to get so frustrated with both of them actually it's just crazy but you know the heart of gold was there I mean he would defend his family you know to the death I mean he would if he heard someone speaking disrespectfully to one of his female cousins or nieces that her other person that was doing that to her had better like run. And, and that's what I mean. It's like, you know, he didn't always go about these things the right way is the problem. You know, that that's what used to get him in trouble. But, but he, his heart was like, how can you talk to a female like that? How can you treat a female like that? Especially someone in my family, like a friend or whatever. It was just deep in him. It was deep in him to protect those and to help those who couldn't help themselves or protect themselves. You know, I have two sons and I raised them both the same. And um, and they both love to help though the underdog and those in need. And Abel was very charitable and um, he loved going and helping those in need um give he he gives he literally would give the shirt off of his back away to this person to these people who were in need i had a young man living in my driveway in in an suv we had parked in the driveway we wouldn't always use the suv he had one of his friends living in our driveway and I didn't know it. Every time he'd come in, you, you know, it would be like, mom, can you join us for dinner? I'm like, sure. And he'd say, okay, well, you know, I guess I'll see you guys later. And he was going to <laughs> sleep in the SUV on my driveway. Um, when I tell you that he was such a giver, my gosh, I, the depths of that are just beyond. And so as I came to, you know, always have this feeling of I have to keep my baby alive. I have to keep my baby alive from the light sockets. I have to keep my baby alive from the food he eats. Um, I have to keep my baby alive from the people he hangs out and, you know, the things that he's putting in his body, um, the things that he's exposing him to himself in the world, um, all the way to like getting his first car. And um, 
you know, I have a, a really dear friend of mine uh, who I've known for many, many years, and he owns a car dealership in, in here in Southern California, a few car dealerships, I think. And, um, you know, he practically gifted me this SUV to give to him, to my son when he turned 18, to Abel when he turned 18. And um, and I was so grateful and everything as a single mom. Are you kidding? And you, you practically have this, like, you know, free, a free car, right, um, to give. And... Um, let me tell you, he was so excited. Like he was so excited and when we delivered it to him and um, it's a moment I'll never forget. But let me tell you, in that great moment came this sense of anxiety about keeping my baby alive because I'm like, now he's going to be driving in the world and, you know, he, what if he doesn't pay attention and what if, you know, anyways, you know, you as a parent, you, you know, your child is driving, you're like, genuinely concerned for their lives right and their well-being and also the well-being of others because oh my gosh especially if you're a boy mom boy moms you know if you're raising boys like boys are crazy <laughs> right it's a little bit tough and so even then so with every milestone in his life I was just really preoccupied with protecting him and when he would go out he lived with me by the way there was a two-month period where he actually moved out you know, for a little while with a girlfriend and he ended up coming back. And so all the way through his life until 25 years old, he lived with me. And, um, and all of those 25 years, I, I was protecting him, but also if he was going to go out, you know, he was an adult. So he'd go out and have a good time or go be with friends or whatever he was doing. I couldn't sleep. Um, I couldn't sleep until I heard that he came home. I couldn't sleep till I heard the door or he'd pick in my peek in my room and go, Hey mom, I'm home. And, I, and I'd go, okay. And I put my hand up, you know, um, and then I could sleep like a baby after that. And that's just how it was for me. Um, he changed my life. Like I said, he changed my life in so many ways. He helped me with my business. Um, all of you guys know I'm an entrepreneur. He worked here um, at the company at Just Home for a year and a half. He, he would deal with the customers. And I mean, he, you know, he would film videos for that. I mean, he was, he was in it, you know. Um, and what the takeaway is from this is that when a child is born into your life, it feels, at least it felt to me, like this child is coming in and fulfilling something in your life that is like priceless. It is every bit of love, unconditional love you've ever hoped that you can get. It's it's just such a beautiful thing. It's it, They have their personalities from when they're babies and it is just absolutely amazing. And so in that lifespan of his... Um, he was a giver and he loved animals. Um, we had a dog. We've had several pets all throughout the years. But like I said, back on this part where he used to help people and loved helping people, um, he loved animals and like absolutely positively loved them from when he was a little kid chasing lizards. Let me tell you, he chased lizards all the way until adulthood. Like, you know, rabbits. I mean, oh my gosh. <laughs> not even I don't even have enough time to tell you like the animal situation like he loved animals and genuinely had this caring in his heart for animals and um and of all the things of all the things he ever 
did that were so crazy and sort of reckless in his life because he was all about living life to the fullest and just loving his family and laughing out loud and just doing these crazy things and having so much fun. He had such a tenderness about him and he loved deeply and genuinely and and the amount of love was felt everywhere. I mean, it is evident today of how missed he is. Missed he is. And, um, and in him, <sighs> let me say this. When he passed away, and if you've lost a child, this might relate to you. When he passed away, until this day, is a year later, I mourn, I do my best to mourn. I mourn every single version of my son. I mourn the little baby, <laughs> the one that couldn't even talk, that was just trying to crawl around and do all that. I mourn the baby baby Abel. I mourn little boy Abel, the one that was going to school, elementary school. I mourn, I mourn him. I mourn him so much, actually. Teenage Abel was rough. <laughs> teenage Abel was like, wow, like I, you hear about the teenage years, but the, I mean, teenage Abel was rough. And I mourn him. I mourn him a lot, that one, Teenage Abel, because I was so scared as a parent during that time. I didn't know how to be. I was super tough. And then I'm like, am I being too tough? Am I not being tough enough? And I feel like I didn't get it quite right during that time. There, the, the bulk of my regrets live in in that time with teenage Abel. I think my my ex-husband uh, ex-husband probably feels the same way about that. It's just tough. You know, as a parent parents you know, like it's your love that that tries to protect them. It's your love that comes down on them, right? Uh, and it's not even about control. It's just about like trying to open their eyes, but but it, it's just really tough. And I'll do I'll now that I'm opening up about the loss of Abel. I will do podcasts now moving forward for parents who are going through those challenging times um, in all stages of their children's lives. But I mourn him. And I mourn the young adult that he was. I miss, I miss that one. It's really odd. It's like, uh, I mourn the baby and I mourn the kid and I mourn the teen. But I miss the adult him. I miss him. Um, and what I miss most is that in the adult him in his 20s, right? I could see all the Abels. I could see all of them. And I hope that this is making sense to you guys. Um, because even though he was 25, 
he would do things that I'm like, he used to do that when he was a baby. <laughs> you know, even though he was 25, I'm like, oh, that's like that teenage attitude coming out. And even though he was 25, I'd see that tenderness from when he was a young boy. I'd see that look in his eye that, where he would try to make me proud. Um, and I got to see him really evolve the last couple years of his life. I really got to see his rational thinking. And um, I really got to see this really neat side of him. You know, I really got to see this neat side of him. And so that one, I admit that I haven't fully mourned him. But I miss him. Um, I miss him every day. And so if you've lost a loved one, especially a child, just know that a year later where I am, I really waited a, a year because I thought I was going to have these amazing tips <laughs> to share a year later with how to overcome grief. And let me tell you, I'm here to say a year later that that year is a blip. That year, it, it's, it goes by so fast for everyone. I mean, not everyone, I should say. It goes by so fast that it's as if you didn't really have the time to mourn them. Um, and so I'm coming to you a year later and I still find myself in a fog and um, I still find myself in a bit of shock. Now, let me share his final moments with you. The night before Abel passed away, it was February 13th, uh, 2019. Uh, he was here. He went to work. Uh, he went to work and he uh, came home. We had dinner. I made dinner almost every night. And we talked and we laughed. It had been raining. It was raining like crazy in Southern California for those few weeks before that. <clears throat> and... Um, and we were sitting around in the evening and uh, one of the things that we used to like to do is we would play music, like kind of like 80s music. And, and then they would kind of challenge me to get up and dance and do all this stuff. And we hadn't done that in a while. Um, and we were sitting, we were sitting, looking at each other. He was across me, not watching TV, just looking at me. We were looking at each other and we were having and it was a little bit down. I think it was just too many days of rain. We're a little bit tired. It's kind of late. And out of nowhere, I jumped up and I yelled, Yay, you just won a million dollars, Abel. What are you, where are you going to go? What's the first thing you're going to do? And <laughs> he, uh, 
he looked at me and he said, we're going to Rome. And he jumped up and he's like to his brother, come on, dude, let's go to Rome. And I jumped up and I said, let's go to Rome. And we were jumping up and down and we were screaming and we were laughing. Let me tell you, it was just in the living room, like at 930 at night, okay, <laughs> for no reason at all. That's just what we would do. And we were cheering because we had taken a phenomenal trip to Italy and Europe um, about a year and a half before that. And we said, ever since we got back, we got to get back to Rome. We got to get back to Rome. And uh, we were for sure convinced we were getting back to Rome. And we jumped up that night. I just wanted them to, to feel the energy and to get excited. And and we laughed and, and it was so funny and and then, you know, we were all retreating to, to go to bed, you know, to go to, to, we had work the next day and stuff like that. And I was in my room and this box that he had given me had flown off of a shelf. And, and I'll tell that story. Um, I'm going to start a segment called Faith Fridays and I'll tell that part of the story. But um, it was in that box is a necklace that he gave me. And it had a heart on it. And uh, I went into his room. And he was already, you know, tucked away in bed and sort of falling asleep. And I said, Abel, you're not going to believe this. This necklace just kind of like flew. This box flew off. I put this away a long time ago. I don't know what it was doing there. And it flew off. And look at what are you, what are you trying to do? Is it like a sign? Like, is it a sign? Are you trying to like give this stuff away to your girlfriend or something? And keep in mind, Abel always spent Valentine's with me. My boys would have girlfriends and stuff like that, but they'd find a way to spend Valentine's with me. And so we always just spent Valentine's together and people could say it's weird, but you know, he would always do things to make me feel really special as did my other son together. They would do this. And, um, and so I didn't expect it. I thought he was going to be, you know, here and stuff. And so he says, mom, I just want you to know I'm going to go to my girlfriend's house tomorrow because, um, you know, she moved far, kind of far and, you know, we've talked about it and we were going to see each other on Saturday instead, but I'm going to go ahead and, and go to her house after work. And so I was like, okay, are you sure? Because the weather's really bad. Um, are you sure this is what you want to do? You know, the weather's so bad. There I was, you know, the mom trying to keep my baby alive. Okay. And he said, mom, come on, mom. 25 years old, I got you your, you know, Valentine's present, it's fine. And so I was like, okay, just, I know you can't, his phone was messed up, so he couldn't really, like, I couldn't really call him or anything. And I said, okay, be safe, and I'll see you the next day, because he was going to spend the night with his girlfriend. And, um... And the next day he went to work very early in the morning, like 4.30 in the morning. And I went about my day. I worked that day. And um, my younger son was like, oh, what are we doing? You know, and, you know, I made dinner and we watched a movie. We were in the middle of watching a movie, Jumanji Part 2 or something. And I was on the couch and um, my phone rings and it's Abel's girlfriend. And I answer the phone and she's screaming. She's screaming and crying. And uh, I calm her down. I tell her, okay, you need to calm down. What's going on? And she says, Abel was in an accident. And at this time, Abel has this big truck that he had bought 
um, again from the same friend who owns the dealership and um, so I thought he was in an accident and I thought maybe he hurt someone because the truck is like a big truck and I said okay is he okay she said no and I said uh, okay what hospital you know I'm I'm still I'm staying calm I'm the kind of person that I don't have to worry I don't worry until I have to worry and I try, I'm trying to keep her calm. And I said, just tell me what hospital. And I'm like looking, you know, to write with something. I think I was looking to write with something. And she said, he's going to the morgue. And uh, she starts screaming, crying again. And I just thought she didn't know better, you know? And I said, why would he go to the morgue? That doesn't make any sense. Like, where are they taking him? And she said, he's dead, Rachel. Abel's dead. I don't remember much after that. know that 25 years of me trying to keep my baby alive had ended all the versions of him came rushing forward they say when you pass away your life flashes before your eyes but when he passed away every version of him passed before my eyes I saw baby him, little him teen him and his current him. And um, it was a blinding pain. Um, I've been through a lot of stuff in my life. I've had a lot of loss. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've lost people I really love. I've been betrayed. I've been sick. I've been... Um, broke I've been everything you can think of that would cause pain and suffering and um, that was a pain I'd never been through that was a blinding pain and I'm um, sharing it because I haven't really spoken about it Because in the name of being strong, to me, strength is kind of like sucking it up, right? It's kind of like business as usual, the best you can to show up, to show up for your life. I have a second, I have another son. had to be strong for him as well and um, all I can say is it is a pain that I do not wish upon anyone it is a pain that defies logic um, it is a pain that is always there you know, 
it's like I guess if you have like an aching tooth or like a headache that's just throbbing like you're still doing your job you're still getting up you're still going forward you're still trying to live your life but it's there and because it's there no matter how dull it gets at times because it's there you're not fully there you're not fully alert you're not laughing as loud you're not happy but you're going through motions you're going through the motions and I want you to know if you've lost a loved one that was immensely important to you that it doesn't go away that fast and it's okay it's okay that's the main thing is it's okay see I chose to throw myself into my work. I chose to show up for my life. I cho chose to show up for my younger son. I chose to show up for some friends on occasion. I chose to show up at events that were work related and put on a brave face. I mean, I'm in a line of work that puts me on a red carpet once in a while. And I think people thought I was crazy to do that. I think if you look at my social media, you're like, wait, what? You were mourning your son that whole time? Let me tell you, even putting on makeup for a year has been a pointless effort. To, to get ready and to get glammed and then to go take photos because it's part of your job. Um, because you made commitments, you promised people certain things you don't want to let people down. And so you step forward and you put on a brave face and you try your best not to talk about it because then you don't want to be like that downer, you know? And so if you're listening and you've never, if you're listening and you know someone that's going through something like this, it might be okay to talk to them. Now, I know my ex-husband would argue differently because he didn't want anyone talking to him about it. But I know for me, it made me feel okay if it was acknowledged. So someone who, I would show up at an event and if someone knew that, you know, Abel had just passed, they'd come up and just put their hand, you know, on my shoulder and they would just say, I just want you to know I know what you're going. I imagine what you're going through. I know you're in a lot of pain. Thank you for thank you for showing up. I don't want to I don't want to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, I'm just acknowledging, you know, this situation. I don't even know. I can't even direct you what to say, but to acknowledge it is is big. I think it's for me it was like each person who would acknowledge it, it was really I felt like okay. Because I was kind of like holding my breath. It was like holding my breath underwater for this whole year and and I'm gonna tell you something the real reason I decided to share this episode is because Kobe Bryant died about five weeks ago okay basketball player NBA the whole world was talking about it along with his daughter and the world was talking about it. But let me tell you what else the world was talking about. They were judging his wife, Vanessa. 
in the grieving process. They were judging her after, after his death. They were saying she didn't cry enough. They were saying that these other people at the funeral were crying more than her. They were saying, why is she posting things on social media? Why is she showing videos of her laughing with her new baby? Like, why is she acting like she doesn't care? And let me tell you something to all of you people who are judging a mother, a wife who's lost their spouse or their child. Let me tell you, there's not even a place in your mind that knows what to do. You know, you lose a grandparent, which I've lost all four of my amazing grandparents at this point, just recently in the last five years or so. I loved each and every one of them. And let me tell you, it hurt. And you go to the funeral and you cry. And then a few months after that, you mourn and you remember them and you celebrate them. And you say, you know, they lived a full life. They lived a full life. And you can celebrate them. And you can say, gosh, I could only hope that I could live to be in my 80s and, and live a full life and do what they've done or raise all these kids or whatever. But when you lose you know, like a child, or I guess in Vanessa's case, her husband, and where you're still looking forward. There's like all of these plans. You know, she made a speech saying about her daughter's wedding that she's never going to go to and all these different things. And let me tell you, like, I had a son and I was thinking that because we used to talk all the time about when he gets married and when he has kids and he wanted to live on the same street as me. And, you know, it was like this whole thing. We we're going to take over a cul-de-sac somewhere in this town. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> which would have been a nightmare for uh, the neighbors, I'm sure. Um, but we had these plans, you know. He had this vision, and it included me, and I had this vision, and it included him and his kids that I will never know. <sighs> so, be really careful when you're judging how someone mourns. Be really, really careful about that judgment lest you find out for yourself what it is firsthand. Be really careful. Because I can tell you that even though I walk a red carpet and I put on a smile in front of flashing lights or I'm working from home tons of hours or I'm going to meetings out there or I'm supporting a friend on her birthday or I'm out at the mall, whatever you see me doing in that photo. <laughs> oh my God. Let me tell you, there's a depth, an ocean of pain that you do not see. That I myself have not even seen the full magnitude of the pain that I carry. I haven't seen it. I've cried. I've I've cried. I've actually sat silent. Sometimes I have no tears. After he died and there was a bunch of people coming over, I had no tears. And so it's important that when you know someone who's grieving and mourning that you understand that they're not just grieving this like person who's now in the ground or whatever your ritual is, right? When someone family, they're grieving the story. They're grieving the history that they had together. 
They're grieving the future that they had planned and envisioned together. There's so much to grieve. There's so much to grieve. And with my son, um, I don't know what year two is going to look like. You know, I know that year one, I learned a lot of things about myself. I learned that staying busy is important. I learned that staying busy is absolutely important. If I didn't have work and a team that I had to look after and clients and, and, and all of these goals and these obligations I had with a friend of mine, we're starting a business together right in the middle of all this. And it was like, oh my God, like how do I give this business 110% of myself when I am like a shell of a person? Um, How do I pay the bills? How do I teach myself to care about money again when I just want to lay in bed? And cry all day that's just that like if I could do that that would be ideal okay if you're someone who lost a loved one and that's what you're doing do that give yourself that but give yourself a time limit you know give yourself three days or three weeks you know to really go through the ugly part of it and then show up for your life the best you can you know just dust yourself off and show up for your life in the best possible way you're going to be battered and bruised and tired you're going to have these huge bags under your eyes like I do now all the time from the sadness and everything you're going to take a shower and for a long time showers are going to be the place where you just cry you know you're going to be driving to Starbucks and you're going to be waiting in the drive through line and just crying I mean it's going to happen and for me having people around kept me strong so having like my mom around and having my son around and you know being at these events and and having to work and be on for my team you know kept me strong it kept my game face off it was also it's like i was creating muscle memory i was like learning how to turn it on But every night it would fall apart. Every night I would just look at his photos. Every night I'd play video clips. Every night I was just remembering him. And, and let me tell you something now a year later is that you will survive it. You will survive it, but you have to accept like I have that this is the new normal. And when I say that, um, because it's not like depression, it's just sadness. Because I'm a very happy person. You, If you've listened to all my podcasts, I recorded each and every one of those after he passed away. Um, it, it's not depression. I don't like for me, I don't have depression, but I am sad. Um, and I also, it's such a heavy sadness. I don't even know how to sit down with a friend and just have a conversation about it. I don't even know how to do that because I view it as such a heavy, ugly pain that I don't want to impose that on someone else. Not even an ounce of it, even though I'm doing it here on a podcast where even strangers are going to hear it. But I'm sharing that so that if you are a friend of someone who's grieving, that you can understand. If they're pushing you away a little bit, if they're isolating themselves, they love you. They love you. They do care. They care about you and they love you. It's just heavy. It's heavy. And I know that it, it logic would say, well, let's gather around and everybody help do the heavy lifting. Maybe for some people, yes. 
maybe that could have helped me. Maybe if I would have let them in. But for me, I just didn't do it. It was just, it was just too much. And I just didn't want to dump that on someone. I just didn't want to dump that on someone. And so in sharing this story, when I got that call, that dreaded call that he had died, my son had pulled over on the, on, the, on the road because he saw a dog in the road. He saw a dog in the road in the rain. It had been raining. It wasn't raining at that moment, according to witnesses, but he had seen a dog in the road and he, he was like, apparently he had to get, go get the dog. And this wasn't something that would have normally surprised me. Normally I would have been like, Abel, come on, you have to be careful. You can't be putting yourself out there. You got to just, you know, just be careful. Again, keeping my baby alive, right? He went and did it. Everybody stopped. Apparently everybody, some people got out of their cars, people had their flashers on to help out. And he was the one running in the road, going back and forth. And a car came at full speed. Never saw him, never applied the brakes, 50 something miles an hour and ended my son's life in an instant. My son died on that roadway, on that wet road. And he died saving an animal. And let me tell you something. I mean, the flash comes of all the animals he ever had, all the animals he ever wanted, all the animals he ever loved. I mean, he would text me and message me, Facebook Messenger Messenger every day, all the time, pictures of animals, like funny pictures of animals. And he would say like, this one's me and that one's him. And it was this like narrative that was just always, always ongoing. I mean, I have a whole collection of stuffed animals in my room from him that he gave me. He loved animals. He loved dogs. But he loved all animals. And he died rescuing them. That poor animal. That, By the way, nobody found it. Nobody ever found that animal. Nobody ever found that dog. I asked around. His best friend asked around. We never, ever found that dog. <sighs> he died doing something he believed in. He died following his heart. He was performing an act of kindness. Some people have said he's a hero. Some people have said, you know, he's an idiot for doing that. People can be rude, right? People have told me this is such a tragedy that I must be so angry. Um, the driver, in case you're wondering, no, he never went to jail. He never got a ticket. It, nothing ever happened. In California, my son was in the road. And, uh, I don't feel anything about that. I've had people try to make me feel something about that. I, I haven't got, I'm not there yet. <laughs> but no, I'm not angry. I haven't been angry. I'm not angry. I just miss him. I'm in a little bit of disbelief, you know, um, it was a closed casket. So to me, my son left at four something in the morning and went to work. 
with Valentine's gifts in hand because he had bought some gifts for his girlfriend. Um, and then just never came home. I've never seen his face since that night before when we cheered for Rome. And that's how I remember him. And those of you who know him and who love him, I hope that you'll just remember him in that wonderful moment. And um, just know that if you are on the journey to mourning, that you are not alone. You feel alone. You feel like no one understands you, but you're not alone. And um, that it's going to hurt. You're going to mourn your joy. You're going to mourn your genuine joy. That that feeling you get when you're just laughing because something's so funny. The the things that make you excited and bring you joy. That's that's over. That's over for a while. Um, you're going to mourn that. I know and I feel like it's coming. Like I feel like the clouds lifting a little. But I'm just letting you know from the future, from future you, <laughs> right? If you can go talk to somebody, talk to them. If you have to go to church every day, go to church every day. Whatever you have to do to go cry, cry. I, I did cry. I cry. I still cry. I mean, I cried on this podcast, but um, those of you who have not experienced this, those of you who have not experienced this, and you're going through some challenges with your kids or whatever your situation, you have a young adult and you're like, what is he doing still living here? He needs to go get his own place. Like, are we failing as parents? Please, please, please stop. Look at your son or daughter, son or daughter, and just hug them. Just love them. Even if they're crazy, even if they do way out stuff, <laughs> enjoy them. If they prank you, prank them back. Uh, if they tickle you, tickle them back. If they want to go to Walmart at 10 o'clock at night and race you on those electric cars, go. Do it. Because you're not guaranteed time. We are not guaranteed time. That's the one thing we're not guaranteed. Enjoy your children of all ages, of any age. Enjoy them. Don't stress over their life decisions. Don't stress over them. Give thanks that you have them. Don't stress too much. Give thanks. Every time you're freaking out worrying, just say, you know what? You're freaking me out a little bit, but I love you. I know you're going to figure this out, and I'm here for you if, if, if you need help. In the meantime, I'm just going to love you. you. They might drink too much, party too much. Just love them. Love them. Love them. That is my message for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Rachel Unpacked podcast. I might do a part two. If you think I should do a part two, um, message me, leave a comment down below. If you know someone that's grieving, you know, and you think that this could help them in some way, at least to hear that they're not alone, to hear that it's normal to feel what they feel, feel free to share it. Um, again, thank you so much.